Welcome, folks. This is a episode of Mining the Money Meets Living the Crude Life in Houston, Texas, right outside of Cowboys and Indians, right in the patio area. You can see the lovely mural. We're going to bring Imran Khan in just a moment to talk about the mural and the restaurant. Brandon Davis, the CEO, next to Imran, and then Jeremy Pate down at the end, Swan Energy as well. And it's our Mining Money segment here, live location. And gentlemen, how are we doing today? Doing great. I can't complain. All right. No complaints here. Well, let's dive right into it. But first off, let's do a little commercial for the restaurant, if you don't mind. I don't know. It's up to you guys. But it's a very nice mall back here I'm having in the mid-afternoon. But let's talk about the restaurant. Cowboys and Indians. I was at the dog park earlier down in uh, right outside of Seaport. Sea uh, Brook, I apologize. Brought it up. And uh, people thought, interesting concept of a restaurant. People back in the Bakken have said the same thing. So how did this restaurant come about? Well, oil and gas wasn't enough for me, and I wanted to kind of bring together some cultures. Uh, a lot of what uh, we've been eating from uh, childhood on was Indian food, and then growing up in Texas, you, you learn to eat chicken fried chicken and, you know, other uh, southern comfort foods, and we just kind of put it together, and, uh, you know, that's, that's what uh, Cowboys and Indians is. What kind of menu items you have on there as far as uh, from the American fair, the, the Cowboys fair? Yes. Steaks? So, yeah, we've got, we've got chicken fried steaks. We've got uh, po' boys. We've got, um, you know, some, some different style wings, some different fusion items that we kind of blend into and then uh, uh, go into some traditional Indian cuisines that are uh, put together by my aunt and my uh, mother. So original recipes. And I must say they have the best chicken fried chicken in town. And it absolutely could feed a family of four. So um, <laughs> I've tried to talk him into having smaller portions, and he won't do it. So it's, it's Have cool. Have you eaten it's, here often? I, that's how we met. Oh. <laughs> I ate here so much, this happened. That's how much I eat here. I told somebody the other day, I mean, and this is weird coming from North Dakota, Minnesota, that Indian food is my comfort food. I absolutely love Indian food. And so I've been frequenting this one Indian food restaurant for 20-some years, and it doesn't surprise me, you know. And so... Uh, I'm glad that we we're able to do this, make this work. The mural. Talk to me about the mural a little bit before we get into what the folks at Swan Energy are doing. Because I understand you guys have a lot going on right now. But the mural, let's talk about that. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, we wanted to kind of represent, uh, so, so the way it's set up, it's actually the Texas flag and then the Indian flag that's built into the center of the Texas uh, itself so just kind of wanted to show a blending of cultures uh, and you know a lot of the colors are very similar between the Indian flag and the Texas flag so we kind of blended that together and then you know some of our local uh, uh, celebrities that uh, are, are always uh, pretty popular in, in Houston are kind of up there from football baseball soccer and also basketball so just kind of wanted to blend it in together and kind of give it a sports feel uh, and, and uh, just kind of represent the city. Jeremy you awake down there? How you doing, man? I'm doing very well. How are you doing today, Jason? Doing well. And folks, if you see me looking, I'm checking mic levels just to make sure that uh, things are okay with... When we're outdoors, we've got wind and everything we've got to worry about. So I didn't. I just wanted to include you in the conversation. We hadn't at this point yet, so I just wanted to. But uh, let's talk Swan Energy a little bit, what you guys have going on. Before uh, we get into too much, uh, I like to tease without getting into your business plan too much because... One of the things that's been prevalent over the last 10 years is that a lot of really smart people I trust seem to think that 60, 70 percent, a lot of the drilling activity for shale play USA is going to come from the Permian and the sub 
underneath, sub layers underneath. Well, you mentioned there's some other plays that are in the hot hot uh, uh, phone calls and things like that. But uh, let's talk a little bit about what you guys have going on. You mentioned that you have uh, are looking or got into the Permian recently. So uh, tell me what Swan Energy has going on and what uh, is current of the day. Yeah, so we are in the process of closing a deal in Howard County in the Permian. So that will give us a presence there. Uh, we picked up a nice little acreage position with a few active wells on it. Uh, we're really excited about that because it fits fits hand in hand with some other stuff we're doing in the Palo Duro Basin. Uh, we're really looking forward to and excited about those projects and what they're going to bring to the table for Swan Energy and Oak Energy in the future. But uh, we, we have a lot of excitement centered around uh, the Howard, Howard County acquisition as well as Palo Duro Basin. Brandon, let's bring you into the conversation if you wouldn't mind a little bit. Um, the Permian, what's your thoughts on uh, getting some acquisitions in the Permian? Is that uh, where, where are we at? Uh, still scary. Is it? Is it still? It's expensive. It is. Yeah, we, we're working on this the one he's speaking about, and it um, it's perfect for, for us, but most of it is a little bit out of our reach. Um, it's a very – the entry cost is not, not low. Okay. It is, is it exceptionally high, and then the well cost is high. So it's uh, for us, it's it's something we're going to tiptoe into, not necessarily dive off into right. at first. Um, but I'm happy that we we're able to get in in uh, a property there with some wells on it. Can I ask why did you invest in the Permian if that is scary and you know what I mean? I well, mean, the, I, I, way, the way we got it done. Okay. Um, it was not a traditional transaction, and um, it, it reduced our risk significantly. So. Um, not to get into the details, but that's that's how yeah. we did it um, versus uh, writing a massive uh, eight-figure check of some sort. Yeah. Did you um, set so out to get to in the Permian or? No, we just happened upon the opportunity. Okay. So um, once we evaluated it, looked at the uh, potential and, and made it an offer and it was mm -hmm. accepted. So, okay. I'm not exactly sure why they accepted our offer versus others, but um, my guess is that they believe in the upside of it more than they believe in what um, cash they could get today. What kind of play is this in terms of, um, is it a, is a horizontal? Is it a vertical? It, it's horizontal. I mean, everything okay. in the Permian, everything everywhere really is kind of turned into That's what I thought. But I, I still um, see these, you know, vertical well guys that, you know, they're still around. So I got to ask. Well, you have to drill vertical wells to find out what's down there. And then once you know, you can go in and drill horizontals. But, um, so areas that aren't as prevalently drilled vertically, it, it takes a little more, a few more vertical wells to be drilled before you can determine exactly how to drill your horizontal. I mean, that's a, yeah. just, just getting the data. And so, um, yeah, I, I, we still do vertical projects, so it's not out of the question. It's just, they aren't very, not very often. Is, is there still wildcatting? I mean, much wildcatting going on? I mean, in the Bakken, everybody knows where everything is and they've known since like the seventies and all they needed was price point to be this and price point to be this and so it's it's very different but i do know there is some wildcatting still going on isn't there it depends on how you define it okay uh, yeah, well by the, by the technical I, definition yes i think everybody has their own version of wildcatting these days right yeah. well i it's not like it's not like okay we're just going to get our witching sticks together and go out here and, and and find a spot and drill the hole you know what i mean well that's what i it's, mean uh, i think that's what the average person thinks wildcatting is it's like oh let's try right there let's see if we can get anything jed clampett style start shooting first and 
We'll bring in the drills later. Yeah, no. I, I, okay, yeah, that's, I that's, that's not around yeah, anymore. Jim Clampett oil's gone. There's much more efficient <laughs> ways to do it these <laughs> days. It might still happen. I just don't know about it. Yeah, we're not doing it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's not the way we wildcat. Now, we may go pick up some existing well wars and that we think have some potential in them, and we may go explore that potential through uphole recompletions or, or uh, popping a zone and testing it or something like that. You know, but we're not going to go out here and, and just go, you know, Jed clamping on somebody and, and just pick a spot and drill a hole. That's I heard, not, I heard they do that in Kentucky. Uh, they probably well, do. I, they used to do it in North Dakota, that's for sure. <laughs> well, actually, the one thing about North Dakota that is very unique, like Montana doesn't have this. Uh, they've started it. But back in the 50s, they started this library called the Laird Library. It's named after, I think, the, the guy who, who – uh, it was uh, his idea – and it's up at our university, and they have every core sample from, like, the 50s recorded. That's how they knew where everything was. I'm not sure what Texas's core sample library at the state is like or whatever, but I know Montana's, they've started to. But Montana's a big state, much like Texas, so it's difficult. It's, you know, much like uh, we were talking about some abandoned wells earlier. You know, you get out to Ohio and Pennsylvania, there's wells that are abandoned nobody even knows about still to this day drones are finding them because life used to still happen before we had cell phones recording everything people did things you know so um imran is that petroleum geologist your background do you know much about how much advanced notice somebody has before they drill do you know what i mean like like i said north dakota they know where everything is well, i think that's you, you brought up a good point right there when you talked about ohio and pennsylvania these are one of the earlier areas that you know wildcatting was done to be able to do work and and drill right i think nowadays with everything being so far explored uh compared to what it was back in whatever, early 1900s, whatever you want to call it, it was a different time. So I think wildcatting was more done because of those reasons. Now with the technologies that are out there, I mean, you know, we were in a meeting this morning with the sales guys and we were talking about how technologies improved from, you know, 2018 to 2020. Um, it's like iPhones, right? It's like, you know, you have an iPhone from 10 years ago compared to today. It's like a whole nother story. And that's kind of what technology that's going on right now that helps you to be able to figure out what's in the ground beforehand from a geology standpoint and, uh, and, and the development standpoint. So. By the way, when it comes to big data, that, I'd like to just point this out that there's a lot of changes that are happening with big data and the integration into the oil patch is, is happening so fast and it's in every department. So when, when CEOs and, and chairmen of the board come out and say paradigm shift in oil and gas, they mean it because they're going to get sued if they don't mean it i mean that's a, they can't be chucking jivers is what i'm saying a lot of people are listening it's uh, and so when you think of hr for example think about the roughneck that would start in alaska and he'd go all the way down to you know alabama and he would be doing the outlaws the whole way but nobody could do background checks well now hr knows your background before you even come to the meeting i mean so big data has changed hr in the world of marketing and media and everything now we've got, uh, hey, Tom, you want to grab the dog real quick? And in HR now, in marketing, we've got, you know, we've got Facebook and we've got LinkedIn and we've got all kinds of different ways to micro niche. You can get a left-handed soccer player in the middle of the night marketed to if you want to. So that's changed everything. 
And so it's just interesting on the petroleum geology side, how much it's changed with the science and with the fracking and the innovation and things. So um, it's a very long winded question. What I'm getting at though, is that big data has changed every single area of oil and gas. And I'm gonna get to the financing side in just a second and the investing side, but from the petroleum side, how has it changed? So, so I think one of the, so my background is chemical engineering and I actually worked, um, uh, one of my first jobs out of college, I actually drilled water wells uh, for salt. So we, we explored salt domes and pulled out brine and basically processed it in a plant and, and, and made salt out of it. Um, the process is exactly the same from a drilling standpoint in oil and gas. Uh, one of the big things when I, when I came into oil and gas, a lot of the different data points to your, to your exact point uh, wasn't really, it wasn't looked at. Um, you know, we would be doing so much different work around maintenance and reliability, uh, around equipment and, you know, a lot of different data points that you'd be able to collect weren't collected in oil and gas. When I, you know, I started in, in a midstream area for one of the majors and, you know, I was, I talked with different folks at, at different, uh, terminal stations and, 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 uh, pumping stations. They had no clue. And this is, you know, 10, 15 years ago, but within the last 10, 15 years, I mean, like we implemented a lot of these different types of details and have been gathering a lot of that data. And I think now 10, 15 years later, you've got that data built on the different types of equipment, you know, to your point, geology, things of that nature. And that's really helped us evolve. And part of the reason why is because of the way that the cyclical nature of oil and gas has been in the last 15, 20 years, right? You've got high up points where your oil was $100, $120. You know, no one cares about all these little little details around those times, but then when you go down to $25, it's a big change, right? Paradigm shift is what you said earlier, and that's exactly what it is. So now you're looking at, you know, making a product that doesn't have the same margins as it did, you know, when it was $120. So based on that, everything's kind of gone through, and now data has really become a big part of what, what you have to do. Even within our offices, we've been working on getting a lot of the title documents, things like that, into systems, and these systems are just, you know, coming together with, you know, one company buying another company, and you're getting conglomerate type of setups, and that's allowing us to be able to, you know, bring data into one repository, and that really helps a lot to be able to do what we need to do. And that's why I wanted to preface before we brought in uh, Brandon and Jeremy into this. And Imran, have you hand the mic over to Brandon? Thank you. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was the big data change because nobody's really talked about the big data from the investing side. And I think about an example of when I invested over a quarter million dollars in the Internet when I had a small publication and we did not get $5 back. I'm not kidding you. But you had to go on the Internet, right? And we are sitting across the table from these guys, and they're telling us up and down, we ain't ever going to need a website. So we're like, how can you not see the future? And the more I think about it now, and actually it was the present. Those guys are out of business now, by the way. Um, <laughs> from Brandon, either from the CEO side, the big picture side, Jeremy from you know, the sales and marketing and business development to the guy who's disseminating that polished, finalized information out there. That has got to be a real frustrating time right now for people because we are actually entering in a time where oil and gas is going to be needed more than ever. I don't care if it's the PPE angle or it's the renewable energy angle, which needs petroleum products to, to go about. Guys, let's talk a little bit about that barrier 
to the mental entry a little bit as big data has really helped you on the investing communication side? I hope someday I can see into the future. That, that, that would be great. Um, Climate scientists, Ken. Oh, oh they sorry. Think, or uh, Elon Musk, one or the other. I, I've, uh, you know, as, as a business owner like you, you're often in situations where you're presented with information as absolute, mm-hmm. which nothing is. Um, but but w- it comes that way a lot, and you have to make a decision on what you believe or you don't believe or what you think is going to happen. And you know, I think that there's a huge element of luck involved, um, and uh, the rest is just you know it just works itself out. Uh, you put yourself in the right position, make the best decisions you can. Yes, it's difficult because you could spend as a, a small company, we could spend a million dollars a year on software for data, easily. Um, we don't, we, we probably spend two thirds of that. Um, and we're a very small company, so I can't imagine what the larger operators are spending on technology and probably having to staff full-time teams of programmers. Um, you know, it's, it's moving quickly and the price dropping, like Imran said, has made, uh, made it all get kind of more aggressive. So the price is dropping faster, uh, or the price dropped and it caused the, uh, the it sped up the process. What would have maybe taken five years took two, um, et cetera. And once that ball gets rolling in the technology world, it seems to keep moving. It doesn't really slow down, which is, which is good and bad. I mean, the things that we were doing two years ago are obsolete, obsolete with some of our stuff. So um, that's a never-ending never moving target, and I don't think it's ever going to change uh, as we go forward. I saw an ad the day that Hyundai was making a walking car. Yeah. A walking car. Like, what the hell are you going to do with a walking car? I, I don't know. Anyway, so we'll see what happens. Um, I didn't see that coming, by the way. <laughs> Apparently your car talks to you, so you go on a walk with it, right? I mean, I don't know. A walking car. Well, who would have thought we ever needed a walking oil rig, I guess, but we do. No, <laughs> I mean, so there we go. Jeremy, how about from, from your perspective, you know, I mean, you, you've got you've got more answers to questions probably than, than people have got questions for. So uh, how is it... Uh, you know, big data has really kind of impacted what you've got going. Well, first of all, there, <clears throat> you know, companies just put out so much data out there that, you know, uh, you know, Brandon has a, a saying analysis by paralysis. Is that right? You know, and sometimes, you know, we, we, we overthink it, over engineer it. And there's just so much data that you have to, you have to really find a defining characteristic of what you're looking for to be able to analyze that data and move forward with a project or do a deal. Um, you also have to be able to use, utilize, those, utilize that data to kill a deal if you need to, uh, if you will. Because, you know, there's just so much of it out there and there's so many companies putting so much shine and flash on their stuff trying to, you know, give it marketability to move on from it. And uh, so, you know, a lot of what I do is utilizing those tools to kill deals in order to see if that's one, something that we want to move forward with, you know. And so that, that kind of is where I kind of find the rubber meets the road as far as the data goes. One of the reasons why I wanted to kind of go along these steps is because, you know, when, when we did that, that quarter million dollar investment I had into the internet at that time for a small company that did that put me out that put me out of business the only time i've lost my business had to shut it down went and worked for another company for three years realized i was not an office a cube worker at all 
Uh, went out to the oil patch, put in my notice the next week. Uh, back now, I'm you know MRM today, uh, but I could have made it if I would have had more money. <laughs> Honest to God, I could have made it if I had more money, because eventually people started paying for the internet. And what happened? And I remember sitting with a couple other independents. You know, we call ourselves the third world of media. You've got you know your big radio conglomerate you got your newspaper that's had a monopoly for a hundred years and then you've got your you know, <coughs> excuse me television conglomerates and then everybody else is in the third world of media you know we're scrapping for the 10 percent of the marketing budgets type of a thing and we we did talk we talked about a joa we talked about trying to figure out a way to make us stop hemorrhaging money because we knew we had to invest in the internet because it was the future so some of us made it, some of us didn't. And um, that's one of the reasons why I like what you guys have going on, because you bring people in to get through the hard times so that there is enough resources there to really offer a new type of risk management that I never had in my life. So it's, it's anyway, I wanted to just kind of let people know a little bit about that, because in times of uncertainty, strength in numbers means a lot. Jeremy? Strength in numbers is everything, I, I think. Go ahead, Jeremy. I'm sorry, I meant branded, but uh, Jeremy, go ahead to anybody. So. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that, that, that's uh, one thing that um, we found a niche at, you know, not only bringing our partners in, you know, to fund projects, but also working with other smaller companies and sticking together, uh, so to speak. You know, being there to, you know, help a company, you know, put, put out, you know, put together one of their projects and put it out there, you know, that mutually benefits everybody, you know, and I think that's one, one area that, you know, we've gotten very good at over the last, in this past year that, um, has really stood out to me and has, as it seems like that's a good direction right now, as good as any to keep everybody going. Brandon, you know, you mentioned strength in numbers as far as it seemed like you had something to say. So I apologize because I should have said your name there. But um, you're dealing with people's money. This is a really emotional topic, whether people you know, know it or not. And strength in numbers can really help people out during these times. I remember back I said, in 2009 when the housing crash was going on. $5,000 was a lot of money to a lot of people at that time for some reason. They were just like sitting on their hands. And they had a quarter million dollars in the bank, for example. But five grand, they were just sitting on their hands, really nervous. Talk to me about how the relationship with money can really be satisfied with that strength in numbers. Well, I look at it like this. If, if you have 10 people throw 50 grand into a, a, an opportunity. And if it fails, like your internet example, um, and $500,000 is lost, every person lost $50,000, which we've had this happen in Wells that didn't work. Um, then then the, the, it minimizes the downside. But compared to if you had two people do $250,000 in that same project, you have two people involved and a lot more money. It doesn't really matter how financially set they are. It's uh, more of a mindset. It's, it's that, you know, it's, it's much less impactful from the negative side when it's a smaller amount of money spread out. 
Um, so instead of putting $250,000 in one opportunity, you put 50 grand in five of them. And that gets you more diversified. So if something does fail, it doesn't kill you. And I, you know, as far as tight and, 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 and people sitting on five grand or, or whatever, it, right now everything, uh, there's a lot of money on the sidelines, but it's really, it's really hard to get. Um, people aren't not excited about moving. Uh, but at the same time, there is a lot of opportunity. So if you find the right opportunity and find the right person that has money on the sidelines, deals happen. And they're happening on a regular right now. And we've by, we've and, been slammed. And by the way, I brought a five grand because we started at seventy five thousand, and we worked our way down to five just to see what the number was of entry, because I and and it wow. could have been it could have been fifty cents, and people still would have been sitting on their hands in two thousand and nine. I, I mean, it. it was it was one of the first, well, it was, the banks got bailed out too big to fail. That was you know that was the deal back then, and that's why I wanted to bring in analysis for paralysis and talk about some of the ways to overcome the hurdle because here's the thing guys they just printed like three trillion dollars out in the marketplace four trillion five I, I lost track after three trillion to be honest so there's a lot of money out there and when I look at what I'm doing now I, I I didn't invest much money into what I was doing but I did what you said I had to diversify myself a little bit I also had to be realistic about what my returns were going to be and the part I messed up though, I used to think 20% was pretty good for a business owner. Apparently, you need to make 100% every year. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I don't know what investments are. But as a business owner, my, my rent goes up. My business insurance goes up. But that's another reason to actually do some joint operating sharing is because if you got a brick and mortar or you got a E&O insurance is going to go up. I had $800 worth of increases last month in rates. It's like... Well, our governor said, okay, now landlords, you can now raise your rents and this and that. The COVID rules came. Everybody dove in. Insurance rates went up. This went up. This went up. And so people are, you know, kind of getting left hooked and things like that. And so I go back to the collaboration, the strength in numbers, and just how that is such a great thing to get you through. So when you are ready to jump and do your own thing, man, what an opportunity to be in it's anyway so um sorry you guys got me going a little bit and i've had half a glass of wine so imran thank you very much that, that always helps doesn't it it does it helps me a lot i get a little peppy at times you know from from an exploration <laughs> side of things camera guys laughing too <laughs> rashid <laughs> go on if, if you look at um just the offshore world for example right you know you think about we've got uh different types of platforms that are in the gulf of mexico uh, that have been developed, you know, none of these things were developed by one company, right? It was partnerships of larger companies. That, that you know, number that was 50,000 is probably more like 50 million. Or 100. Or 100, something like that, where they're, they're putting in a lot bigger numbers. But, you know, they're, they're working together, right? Because that's really what, what helps you to be able to eliminate or reduce and mitigate the, the, uh, the risk that's out there. So I think that's really something to think about. So what's next, guys? Let's, let's get people investing. We talked about, you know, some ways to risk manage. And it's so funny because sometimes, you know, you get a bunch of guys in that have rode the roller coaster of business. The guys who have been knocked down and got back up. I don't know about you, but I love talking about the getting knocked down and getting backed up part of it. So let's talk about getting back up, okay? Let's talk about taking that step because I did. I got my ass kicked. And I invested with my family on the line in the oil and gas industry. 
And I've had opportunities to leave the oil and gas industry over the last four years. And I've decided not to, not because I think it's just, you know, but well, I'll tell you why, because I think it's the best opportunity for my family. I really do. And I know what the obstacles are, but I don't see it going anywhere. 96% of what we use on a daily basis from my toothpaste to my toothbrush to how the hell it got in my door takes oil and gas. And whether it's the, the, the COVID plastic protection equipment wave we're going to go into or it's the autonomous drones that are going to need all the different materials needed for us to deliver. We ain't going anywhere, guys. Right now is when you buy Apple at two bucks. So let's talk about how people can make money over the next couple of years. And guess what, folks? It might take six months. It might take six months. That, it took me a year before I saw things come back. But guess what? It came back, and then it became back with some roots. It came back more solid. And I think that's where we're at right now. Didn't you and I just talk about the next six months are going to be critical investing, uh, uh, yeah, yes, Brandon? Yes, we did. And the next six months are going to be critical because there's going to be a lot of opportunity. Yeah. And, and we'll see how that comes together. As far as uh, oil and gas and investing goes right now, <laughs> there's never been a better time. Um, prices are, are down. Not in these generations. Values down. The, the way... The way opportunities are viewed right now compared to even six months ago has changed. Over the last four years, it's completely changed. Um, so uh, where things are today, uh, it is definitely time to buy. And that's, you know, I, I'm sure that we're not the only ones thinking about that. Um, and as far as investing goes, you, know, you, you have to pick whatever you're investing in. Um, and make sure you're comfortable with the risk. And obviously, you're, you're, you're doing it for upside. But the risk is, is a big part of it. Um, and, and now I just never, never forget that in oil and gas, anytime you buy into anything, you could lose everything. And that's part of the deal. Um, so as far as getting knocked down and getting back up, it's, it's probably <laughs> the most obvious of all uh, things. You go drill a well, it's a dry hole, you all get knocked down. Um, and then everybody gets back up and goes and drills another well. So uh, that, that's just the way the game is played. And uh, though dry holes are a lot less frequent uh, to drill than they used to be, um, it still happens. I mean, you, you still have issues. So um, I'm excited to see what happens in the next six months. I think you're right. Um, no matter what course the, uh, the, the world takes as far as energy consumption goes, power generation, et cetera, uh, there are so many other um, uses for oil and gas products that it's not gonna it's not gonna go away no matter what. Mm -hmm. um, if every vehicle on the on the planet went solar tomorrow or or something else besides um, uh, hydrocarbons, then at the, uh, there's still gonna be the use of those products to make plastic to make all the pieces and parts that go into all of the products, um, including solar panels. <laughs> So, you know, that's the interesting thing. People don't know this, but, and, and I don't know who knows the exact, but 25% of a barrel of oil goes to diesel fuel. And, and then, you know, there's the other, but the bulk of it's diesel. And then it gets to a bunch of different things. Our consumption of Amazon, our consumption of DoorDash, our consumption of Uber is increasing. It, it is increasing. And guess what? Diesel is, is, is still needed. So it's kind of funny because probably diesel is actually getting consumed more than before because people are traveling less because unleaded, et cetera. 
Also, we're going towards a natural gas revolution, whether it's from a base load or whether it's from the plastics that can come from the feedstock of the combination or what it might be uh, when you're talking about the hydraulic fracturing. I really see that as, as the security blanket in this whole thing. And people aren't going to talk about it because it's, there's a little bit of NIMBY here, not in my backyard. Once kind of some of the public stuff goes away, as long as people can put their Keurig coffee cup going, they don't care. They'll go to the next protest, get their next Keurig coffee, you know. As, and so as long as they can't see it, things are going to be fine. So I don't know how you guys want to handle it's a, it's, it's a It's a transition to give a good plug, in my opinion, for natural gas. So if you disagree, certainly disagree with me. Prices are a factor right now. However... The future is coming, I don't know, 10, 20 years, five years. It's just I don't see it going away for a while. Um, no, I, I totally agree with you. You know, I think a couple of weeks ago on on uh, our radio segment, I mentioned that if there was a law passed tomorrow that outlawed gasoline-driven powered vehicles and it went to all EVs, we would need twice as much, maybe even three times as much oil and gas. And, th- and that's fact. Elon Musk knows it. Everybody out there knows it. So while they keep talking about getting rid of fossil fuels and doing away with them, where are you going to get the, the where are you going to get the oil that you need to make all the plastic? Where are you going to get the cobalt? How are you going to make the titanium? All that becomes a factor in all those parts that they need to make EVs, like Brandon said. Um, so you know, I think right now um, is a great opportunity. Uh, I think you have to play the long game with oil and gas. Um, and I think you have to have the wherewithal to be able to sit back and 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 watch it unfold and it's and it's going to be a couple years before you see a return on your investment but you know that's one thing i like about what we're doing here at swan and oak energy right now is we're laying the ground floor for the future and when that time comes we're going to kick ass and take names and that's all there is to it but it's not unusual to get payouts for for these types of things you know i mean get several thousand bucks in a month or something like that roll over some things i don't know is it is it unusual to get payouts like that that Brandon, Brandon? No, not at all. <laughs> you responded. So. Are you talking about oil and gas? Yeah, yeah I mean, let's, I mean say, you, let's say you chunk in well, 50 grand. Wells produce 24-7, so That's if what I'm they're saying. producing, unless they're negative cash flow, there's distributions every month. That's I don't, how it works. I, all I know is I, I, here's, here's what Pretty simple. Here's what hooked me on oil and gas, okay? I was, I'm not kidding you. I was doing a live remote at a sporting goods store in Dickinson, North Dakota. And this guy comes up, and I... He was a little socially awkward, okay? But he had, he had an oil and gas lease, so he made all kinds of money. He built a go-kart track in his backyard that cost $680,000. He did it in three months, paid cash. And he did it because he had an oil and gas mineral lease. So that's why I'm saying you said two years before you might get a payoff. I'm saying this dude, he hit the jackpot. So yeah, that's a little different. It is. Oh, yeah, I know. It's a little but. different. And, and look, it, it can happen. Way, it can happen right. quick. But but that's one of those success stories. Not setting unreasonable expectations. What's well, just different? He's a, probably had minerals that he leased to someone. They drilled wells oh. and he got paid in big chunks. Yeah, um, and that happens. And and it's. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of cash quick. No, happen. that was family land and the whole sure. deal. Oh, yeah. No, that was that was a different story we're talking yep, about. Absolutely but, different. But, but that, my, I mean, that is, I mean, it does once once the well starts producing it until it's either negative cash flow or runs out of oil and gas, you get mm-hmm. paid. And that can, you know, the thing of the wells in the areas that are being developed now is not unusual for wells to produce for 20, 30, 40 years. Oh, they can do that. Long. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah. No kidding. Uh-huh. See, we're not used to that up in the Bakken. They they uh, they were supposed to produce, and then they re- they forgot to carry the one, and then they realized it was only half his amount. So then they then they realized they could do something on the redux, you know, that sort of thing. It's It's been a little bit of a juggling act up there in some areas because somebody forgot to carry the one at one point and so they've had they've had to kind of make up some areas that's for sure yeah i I, we actually took a hard look at the bakken back in the early uh what 2011 Mm -hmm. and we couldn't make the math work that we were receiving seeing and reading from other companies um probably for the same reason you're talking about. Well, I was going to say that's interesting. It just didn't really, like, we couldn't get our arms around it enough to be comfortable spending any money up there. And that, um, I think it got better as time went on, but um, at at the outset, it was, it was a little too sketchy for us. Um, We try to go into areas that are, that are proven and developed and or up and coming. And so. Where are you um, at right now? um, I mean, just the ones that you can remember i guess uh right now well we're in the dj basin heavy oh really um, yeah in the wattenberg field proper actually we have a, a lot of interest in wells there and leases and um we have some wells in the scoop in oklahoma um and uh in addition to that we are working on a new project in the paladora basin um uh, and then we have some east texas properties which is a just an area that's always been good and will be so East Texas is uh, pretty good for gas normally, yeah, too? Yes, both. That's what I thought. Gas yeah. and oil. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, are you looking anywhere on the East Coast, by the way? No. Okay. No. Is that due to regulation? I'm not looking for anything on the East Coast. Okay. No property, no girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. No no mindset, no conversation. As far as that goes, I'm not looking on the West either. I don't want a beer from the East Coast. I don't want a kombucha from the east coast that's california sorry (laughs) that's great all right so let's wrap her up here guys because our food is about cold here by the way it looks fantastic we'll have some photos up of the uh spread as well from cowboys and indians here we got the mural behind us uh just kind of in conclusion well uh whoever wants to go first i'd like to give guests of course the final word of the show so uh, talk about whatever's on your mind, anything you want to reiterate, anything we left out. If you got a great chili recipe, if you want to get it out there, feel free because, hey, sometimes you never know it's going to connect with people these days. You know, I don't have a chili recipe, but we, we do have a chili cheeseburger over there oh. that, that's calling my name. So, But but thank you so much for your time, Jason. It's, it's great to be able to have you here and, and uh, do this whole event uh, together. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming down. Um, it's time to get back to work for me. They literally had to drag me over here to do this. Uh, uh, oh, we so saw you doing on. your emails in between uh, it's questions. Just, it, I have, I have some key people out of the, out of the game today because of health reasons. So I'm having to do a bunch of extra work. So I'm literally working between talking. Um, but yeah, it was great to meet you. Happy you came down. Thank you. Um, I, I might keep your me. dog. Uh, just, she's, she's really cool. Um, and, Frackleberry uh, hound. and, uh, it was, it was neat to do this. So, um, Cowboys and Indians does have amazing food. And uh, without, without it, I wouldn't know Imran, which I could say most days that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so, man, look, we've known each other for several years now. It's, it's, we've done several podcasts together. Glad you were able to make it. We've been talking about doing an event, you know, an interview, something like this for a long time. Uh, it's great to be on your show today in a live format here at Cowboys and Indians with Imran and and uh, my good buddy here, Brandon. Um, 
just looking forward to the best for the rest of 2020 and, and looking forward to, forward to the future in 2021 for our group. Well, that's going to do it, folks. Well, Mining Money meets Living the Crude Life. That's what we have here, but it's Mining Money weekly segment on The Crude Life. Of course, you can check it out at thecrudelife.com, swanenergyinc.com as well, and you can email us questions if you'd like.